we talked today about uh, a place right at the beginning of Sabbath school. I was impressed with that. I was impressed with how God works things out. I never talked to Julia about what I was going to preach, but uh, she talked something about finding a place. Maybe you need to find your place. Maybe you need to find what is it that the Lord has for you to do. And I'll be talking this morning about a secret place. About a place that the Lord has for you indeed. And a place He is inviting you to. So before we start, before we open the Bible and before we, we study His Word, I'd like to invite you to join me in prayer. We've prayed a few times this morning, but it's never too much to pray and ask the Lord to lead us in the study of His Word. So please join me in this prayer. Father, once again, we want to thank you for this privilege because you allowed us to uh, come one more Sabbath here and be in your presence. And now, Lord, I ask you that you may uh, anoint my lips and use me for your glory and honor. Father, I ask you that you may hide me behind the cross of Christ and that every word, every thought that I convey here may come directly to you, that as we open Scripture and study it, that your word may come out alive and have a deep impact in our lives, in our consciences, in our minds. I ask you, Lord, that everything may run smoothly here, that your angels may be surrounding us, that we may be able to focus and to learn from you this morning. I ask you in the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen. So throughout this month of September, we've been studying the, the character of God, a portrait of God. On the first Sabbath of the month, you had the privilege, I, I, I didn't have the privilege of being here to, to listen to Pastor Robert Zama. Pastor Zama is a good friend. He used to be the youth pastor in the College Park Church when we were there. And uh, it just so happened that we were ordained the same day. On June 24th, we both were ordained together. Maybe he mentioned that, I don't know. But anyway, I'm, I'm saying that. And last week, uh, we had Charlie Blaby come back here and talk about uh, how God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. The God of the Old Testament is the God of the New Testament. Is the God you and I know and the one we look forward to seeing. And today, I'd like to tell you about an invitation that God has for you. It's interesting because earlier today we were talking about the disasters that have taken place recently. Just in the United States and in the Caribbean alone, we had three hurricanes in a, whole, in a row. And there was a lot of devastation out there. And there, is, there are fires all across the globe. Right here in Canada, we have fires going on. And all of that, we look at that. And when we, when we look at Bible prophecy, you and I... as it's a Bible prophecy. We look at those things and we see them as signs of the imminent coming of Jesus. Isn't that right? And so as Christians, as Seventh-day Adventist Christians, we are, we are caught up between these two realities. One is that we see those things as being signs of the coming of Jesus. And that's what we're looking forward to. But it's not Christian to rejoice in those things as to say, yes, it's good that that's happening because the Lord is coming. We also have a responsibility to reach out. We also have a responsibility to look after others and, and help as much as we can. 
And I wonder at times if we are really prepared, if we are really equipped to perform this duty, this task that the Lord has for us. And you know, all across the world, particularly North America, there is always uh, statistics coming out. Statistics showing that the Christian church is declining, that the Christian church is failing in their uh, mission, and that there is a declining membership or there is a declining spirituality. I came across some numbers that I'd like to share with you. And these numbers are, are not the greatest, but out of 1,500 people who were interviewed, 1,500 people were interviewed, 1,500 Christians, 1,500 evangelicals, should I rather say, and this is from the United States, but I don't think that if this uh, research were done here in Canada, the numbers would be uh, much more encouraging than they are. But out of the 1,500 people who were interviewed, 90% said that they, re they read the Bible regularly. But only 31% said that they set aside a substantial amount of time each day to pray. And although 87% agreed that every Christian needs to spend time alone with God on a daily basis and that without it their faith will suffer, 42% only said that they find it difficult to find time on a regular disciplined basis to pray and read the Bible. 20% of those people interviewed said that they only pray when, there is ch when the chance or the need arises. And that figure raises to 29% if you consider only people who were born after 1980. Now 60% of all those interviewed said that they prayed on the move while walking or using transport. And when they do find the time to pray, half of those interviewed are most likely to be asking God only to bless their family. So that's not encouraging. And I think that apparently it's easy when we hear those numbers and we hear those statistics, it's easy to think, well, I think we know what the problem is. The problem is that we are all too busy. And we don't have time to pray. We don't have time to study the Word because of the business of life. But what if, what if there is something else? What if the business of life is not the only reason. What if the business of life is not even the major, the most important reason why people are not reading the Bible? Why people are not praying? What if there is something else? Let me ask you this. Has anyone here, is there any person here who has never ever taken an elevator ride in a high-rise building? We all have at some point. Or oh, there is someone who has never. Uh, and I'm talking not about the, your building, right? If you live a building and you take the elevator up and down, but you go to a commercial building. And I'm going to use the example here of Toronto because it's, it's the largest city in Canada. So you go to a high-rise high, high building, sorry, and you've got to take the elevator. And there is research on that. There is uh, studies on that. There is statistics. Uh, the more crowded the elevator is, the less people talk. And the more awkward is the feeling. And people actually avoid having eye contact with others. And they don't say anything. And the elevator is crowded. There is no conversation. There is no looking into the eye. There is this sense of awkwardness. 
And I would say that the sense of awkwardness I can understand because it is as if you're sharing too much of your personal space with other people, people you don't even know. You are too close to people whom you are not really close. Now imagine this, you go downtown Toronto, you have some business to see, like I said, I'm talking about commercial buildings, you have offices there, you have the, the notary officer there. there, there is a consulate, you need to get a visa, there is a, a business you need to do with a company whose head office is right there. And you get to that high-rise building, there are 70 floors, and you've got to go to the 50th floor, you're not going up the stairs, you've got to take the elevator. And you push the button and you wait for the elevator. And the elevator finally opens the door. There, there was a lineup behind you. But you happen to be the first person. And as the elevator opens up the door, you see that there is barely room for only one person. But you happen to be that person, fortunately. And so after you look that there is still uh, barely space for someone, you step in. But to your surprise, as you raise up your eyes you see that Jesus Christ is standing there. And you have no choice but to be right in front of him. And I know you may be thinking this is silly, Pastor, because when Jesus comes, he will come and every eye shall see him. But think about this just for this exercise. You are face to face with Jesus. How would you feel about it? Would you feel comfortable? Would you feel relaxed? Would you feel relieved? That you're having a busy day, but you just so happen to be front, uh, uh, face to face with Jesus, and that brings you relief. Or would you feel awkward because you're facing Jesus Christ right there? Would you rather turn around so you could be facing the door? And so when, you're, when, your floor, when you get to your floor, the door will open, you'll be ready to go out. Would you turn your back to Him or would you avoid eye contact? How would you feel about it? And I would think that most Christians, most Christians don't ever think about that. Their communication with Jesus is never one with the sense, with the feeling that Jesus is right there next to them. When we pray to the Lord, we go to our bedroom and we talk to the Lord, we, it's a conversation that takes, takes place down a path of millions or billions of light years of distance. And we pray from here and the Lord is out there in His high and lifted up throne. And we're praying over this huge distance of I don't know how many billions of light years. But the idea of being in the presence of Jesus, the idea of being really in His presence is something that we only consider for the future. And we are Seventh-day Adventists, Christians, and we preach about the coming of Jesus. And Jesus is coming again. Jesus is coming again soon. And we sing hymns that say that I long to see my Savior. And when I see, when I get to heaven, He's the first person I'm going to hug. He's the first person I'm going to look for. But it's always like that. Either Jesus is the one who had been who has been crucified and rose again and went to heaven, or He's the one who is still going to come. But what about today? Do you feel comfortable in the presence of Jesus? Do you consider that God is always with you? I would think, I would say that maybe, 
the reason why there is not more reading of the word, the reason why there is not more prayer being done, the reason why there is a decline in spirituality is not because of the business of life. Because at the end of the day, we may be as busy as we are, but we want to make sure that we get on time to our appointments. We want to make sure that we uh, meet our promises, that we deliver our promises. We want to make sure that we perform all our commitments. We want to make sure that we pay our bills uh, on time. And so it's not the business of life. It is a lack of of closeness to God. It is a lack of intimacy with God. And so, how can this be fixed? Well, the Bible tells us, the Bible is telling us today, he who dwells in the shelter or he who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. And so the Bible is inviting us today to come to the secret place of the Almighty. Some versions say the, the shelter of the Almighty. That's all right. Because a shelter, a secret place is somewhere you go and nobody else knows about it. This country welcomes every year thousands, hundreds of thousands even of refugees. Or thousands of refugees. And they come here, and one of the things I'm sure no agency bringing refugees here, or no refugee would ever do is to say uh, bye, to say to their persecutors or perpetrators, bye, I'm going to Canada, and this is going to be my address. This is a place they come for refuge. This is a place they come to be protected. And this is the idea of the shelter. This is the idea of the secret place. It is a place you come to have a personal encounter with the Lord. But look at what the Bible say. And that's in Psalm 91 verse 1. The Bible is not inviting you to simply come to the secret place of the Most High. The Bible is telling you to do what? Dwell. To dwell in the secret place of the Most High. And what is it to dwell? To dwell is to make your living at, at some place. It's to make... That place, your habitation, that's where you live, that's where you dwell. Well, you know the saying, there is a saying in English, I learned this when I came to Canada, even though I knew the concept, that there, are no, there is no such thing as free lunches. That's what they say, there is no such thing as free lunches. So that's to say that there is no way you can get something not given anything, without giving anything. And so... If you want to dwell in a place, if you want to come to a place and make that place your habitation, there is always a price to be paid. I'm not talking that you must do something to be saved. All I'm saying is that to come, once you've been saved, you want to come to the secret place of the Almighty, of the Most High. You want to come to His shelter. There is something, there is a price to that. Well, if you live in a building, if you live in an apartment, or if you live in a house, you must pay for it. And if you can't afford it, someone must pay, pay for you. Or else you won't have a place to live. So if you come to dwell in the secret place of the Almighty, there is also a price. And I will tell you what the price is. It's not too complicated. But it takes commitment. We need to come to the Lord with an open heart. That's what the Bible require, requires of us. We need to come to the Lord with an open heart. And we need to accept we need to accept His will for us. 
Now, I think that we usually say the, word, the, the expression open heart in a very lightly way. In a very common way, we talk about open heart. I have an, op an open heart. I love all people. I accept them all. I am not prejudiced against anyone. I have an open heart. But I want you to think about something. Think about the expression open heart. I've never had open heart surgery, but I know many people who have. And one of the basics, I'm, an, I'm not a medical doctor, but I know that one of the basic premises of an open heart surgery is that first, you need to give yourself, you need to surrender yourself to the hands of the physician. And when you go to the operation table, don't, we're not even aware of what's going on. And when the doctor operates the person who is having open heart surgery, the blood is made to bypass the heart. The heart is taken off of its functions. There is assistance. There is a machine that keeps your blood being pumped through the body. And there is a machine that helps with breathing, breathing as well. So the heart is taken off of its operation. I know that there are more modern techniques now where the heart's kept pumping. But still, blood is made to bypass the heart. And if the person comes to the conclusion that open heart surgery is the treatment that they need, if they believe that and they accept that, they have to accept that they are going to be in the hands of the physician. And so the Bible says in Ezekiel, follow with me, Ezekiel 36, verse 26. Ezekiel 36, 26. The Bible says that the great physician... is looking forward to operating an open heart surgery in you and in me. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. The great physician is willing to operate an open heart surgery in you and remove your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. But you must come to the secret place of the Almighty for that. And when this happens, when you allow the great physician to perform that open heart surgery in you, to replace your stony heart for a heart of flesh, when you allow the Lord to do that, you are going to see things in a very different perspective. When the Bible tells you that you must keep the seventh day Sabbath holy, when the Bible tells you that it is the seventh day and that the Lord sanctified it and made it holy, you'll have pleasure in doing that. It's not going to be any hard for you to do that. Because your heart has been changed. When the Bible tells you, when the Bible tells you that a man should leave his father and mother and be united with his wife, and you understand that that has always been God's original plan. That a man be united with his woman. You will follow that understanding that the Lord has the best of interests for you and for your happiness. When the Bible tells you that you need to love your children to the utmost, but discipline them in the Lord. You need to teach them to respect the Lord, to have reverence for Him. You need to teach them to love the Lord so that at some place eventually they will have their personal encounter with the Lord. And they will also find their own secret place with the Lord. You will do that 
out of love for the Lord. When the Bible tells you to keep away from things that are harmful for your body. When the Bible tells you to keep away from certain types of foods that are harmful. You do that remembering that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Imagine, for example, a young lady who is, who is looking for the love of her life. And she's so lost into the heart of God. She's so lost in the heart of God that for any man to get to her, they will have to go through the heart of God as well. She won't even look at anyone else if they don't come through the heart of God. Because that's where she is. And that changes her perspective totally and completely. Now, this change can only happen when you come to the secret place of the Almighty. But where is the secret place, you may ask? I understand that, Pastor. I understand that the Lord is saying there is a secret place. And by and naturally you would think that the secret place is something that only you and God know, or else it wouldn't be secret, right? If I knew where your secret place is, that would defeat the purpose of having a shelter, a secret place. But where is the secret place? What is the secret place that the Lord has for you? Open your Bibles to Matthew thirteen eleven. Matthew thirteen eleven. Jesus used to give to tell parables. He used to teach through parables. And that's why we have so many illustrations that help us understand the love of God and his plan for us. But his disciples asked him once, Lord, why do you speak in parables? And Jesus said something that was precious. He said, Matthew thirteen eleven. He answered He answered and said to them, because it has been given to you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. But to them it has not been given. So to those who accept Christ. To those who come to him in search of the secret place of the most high. He has given you and I to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven. So he is willing to reveal to you where the secret place is. Let me quickly take you on a journey here. I want you to think to remember the old uh, tabernacle in the wilderness. Now the tabernacle, I don't have a picture here, but the tabernacle in the wilderness, it had an outside uh, curtain, an outside wall, if you will. And then there was this outer court, and then there was the tabernacle proper. And the tabernacle was divided into a section, a smaller section of one-third of it, which was the most holy place, and then another section that comprised the two other thirds of it, which was the holy place. And right there in the most holy place, there was only one day a year that someone was allowed in there. Nobody would ever enter there. It was only one person. That person was the high priest. Only once a year he was allowed to go in there, and that was on the Day of Atonement. That, that's uh, represented, that's described in Leviticus 16, if you want to, to read that later at home. And inside that smaller compartment of the tabernacle, uh, do you remember what was in there? 
in the most holy place what was the main object there the ark of the covenant the ark of the covenant which had two cherubim on top of it one facing the other with the wings covering it and they were all uh, covered in gold and the glory of the Lord was manifested in that place on the day of atonement and that was a place that nobody could ever get in there only the high priest it was a secret place where God would reveal himself but now we no longer have the tabernacle we no longer have the sanctuary we no longer need it here on earth because now Jesus Christ has gone into heaven and he is the high priest he is the one who is interceding for us up there if you open your Bibles to Hebrews 7.25, I want to read this with you. Hebrews 7.25. Hebrews chapter 7, verse 25. It says that, Therefore He, meaning Jesus, He is also able to save to the utmost those who come to God through Him, since He always lives to make intercession for them. And if you go back just a couple pages to chapter 4 of the book of Hebrews Hebrews chapter 4 pages uh, uh, verses 14 through to 16 the Bible says here Hebrews 4 14 through 16 seeing them seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens Jesus the Son of God let us hold fast our confession for we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses but was in all points tempted as we are yet without sin let us therefore listen to this let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need so the door to God's throne is open it is wide open we have direct access because Jesus Christ has opened the way for us and that's what Paul says if you go back a little bit to Colossians Colossians chapter 2 verses 2 and 3 Colossians chapter 2 verses 2 and 3 here's the Apostle Paul saying that their hearts that their hearts may be encouraged being knit together in love and attaining to all riches of the full assurance of understanding to the knowledge of the mystery of God both of the Father and of Christ in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge so to the question where is the secret place of the Almighty there is only one answer Jesus is the way Jesus is the one who is going to take you right there into the secret place of the Most High and John chapter 17 verse 3 says and this is life eternal that they may know you and Jesus Christ whom you have sent so it is by knowing Jesus that we have access to the throne of God it is by knowing Jesus that we find the way there so do you want to find a way to your secret place with God do you want to find a way to your secret place of the Most High you need to find Jesus you need to go through Jesus and here in this book is where you can find Jesus John chapter 10 John chapter 10 verse 9 John chapter 10 verse 9 here are the words of Jesus 
I am the I am the door. If anyone wants to enter by me, if anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. So Jesus is the door. Where can you know Jesus? Where can you know the Most High? He's revealed himself in this book. He's acting constantly in your life. But for you to tell the difference, whether it's the Lord working in your life or not, you need to know Him by reading His book. And after you go and find a place to read the book, after you spend time in the Word, after you listen to His voice, after you, you read His words, after you meditate upon His words, you do, what, you do what Jeremiah says in Lamentations chapter 3, verse 26. Lamentations chapter 3 verse 26 and the Bible says it is good that one should hope and wait how? quietly for the salvation of the Lord it is good that one should hope and wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord and so here is the way for you to find the secret place of the Almighty. You study His Word. But you study His Word because there is no other place where you can find the way to life. You study God's Word because there is no other place where you can find the, the most accurate representation of God's character. There is no other place where you can find the life of Jesus described to you in such a way that will change your heart. And after you spend time reading... You meditate upon it and you wait quietly and hope quietly for the salvation of the Lord. So you'll be quiet and the Lord will be talking to you. And as you meditate upon the word, the Holy Spirit will give you some insights that you never had. Some insights that are very personalized according to your needs and not according to mine. And so nothing, nothing, I say this, Nothing, nothing will ever replace, will never be a replacement for your personal study of the Word of God. You may read good books. You may have your quarterly all studied and marked. But if, if you are not really taking time to meditate upon what you read, if you are not taking time to wait and hope quietly for the Lord to speak to you, Nothing is going to happen. Nothing really meaningful is going to change in your life. If you, are, if you are 25 years of age or younger, you probably grew up in the world of, in the world of digital photography. You don't really know what film photography used to be. Well, film photography is still is. People still take many pictures on film. But today we talk about digital photography because you can take a picture and you can see it right there. You don't need to develop the film or whatever. But in the early days of film photography, and in fact, in fact, uh, it doesn't matter if it's film photography or digital photography, the principles, the basic principles are always the same. You have a camera and you have a shutter release button. So when you push the button, the shutter is released. 
But it needs to be set up in such a way that only the right amount of light will come in. And the principle of photography is that you open the shutter and you allow, you allow light to come in and hit whether the sensor in a digital camera or the film in a film camera. But you must have the shutter open just for the right amount of time, which they call exposure. You must have the right amount of exposure. You can't have more light than you need. You can't have less light than you need. If there is less light, the picture will be too dark. If there is too much light, it, light, it will burn. And so you need to set up the right amount of time for light to come in. And you need to have the, the camera open just the right amount of opening, what they call the aperture. You don't want more than that. You need the right amount of time, the right amount of light. And once that picture is taken, you have to remove, you have to remove the film in a film camera. You have to rewind it all the way back into the canister. And in the days, in the early days of film photography, you would take that roll of film. And what do you do with that roll of film? Well, you yourself you basically couldn't do anything. You had to go to a lab. You had to give it to the into the hands of a professional photographer. And he would take it into the lab and would develop it. Now, it doesn't matter if you were in the pictures. You were never allowed in that dark room. Only the photographer can go in there. It doesn't matter if you had your family there. It doesn't matter how many friends you had on the pictures. You might want to have them all there observing the process, but no one would be allowed in that dark room, in that secret place. And right there in the dark room, the photographer would go through the processing, through the development of that film. And that film would go through some chemicals, some chemicals would be applied, the film is shaken, and after the right amount of time and the right processing, the film has finally a visual imprint on it. It becomes what we call what? A negative. And out of those negatives, pictures could then be printed out on paper. But I want you to think about this, that the secret place of the Most High is no different from that. No one else is allowed in there except you and the Father. And you go in there, and there is a process you need to go through. And I tell you, my friends, if, if, if power is lacking in your life, if you look around and you think, oh, our church must make a difference in this community, but it seems like a far-fetched dream. If your life is not moving forward, you need to go back into the dark room. You need to go back into that secret place of the Most High. And you need to allow the great physician and the master photographer to do his work in your life. And you need to be there as long as he thinks it is necessary. For then... You will be able to come out of there having the imprint of Jesus in your life. And from then you come from there you come out and people will be able to see the imprint of Jesus in your life. But until then, you have to allow the Lord to perform this change in your life. Let me suggest that maybe the lack of of power in the Christian church, the lack of revival that we feel in the church.
when people are claiming for revival and reformation, but it seems that it never really takes off. Let me suggest that it is not based on programs that that's going to happen. It's not based on events. It's not based on very creative ideas. Change is going to happen based on my personal relationship with God. On your personal relationship with God. And once we spend time in the Word. Once we allow the Lord to work His will in our hearts. We'll come out of that place a changed person. And we'll find that we'll need to go back in there quite often. Because you need new printouts of your pictures. And you go back to the lab and you request more printouts. And so you need to go back there on a daily basis. You need to go back to the Word on a daily basis. So that religion can become meaningful to you. So that you, you not only will have former religion in your life. You have a life transforming power that you change everything. And so today, I don't want this to be one more sermon that you came to hear here. You came and listened to the sermon. And it does make sense to you, I believe. But the Lord is calling us. That's what the Bible is saying. He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. And that is a calling, that's an invitation for you and I today. So I'd like to invite you this morning to be bold enough to come to the front, if you will. But don't come because others are coming. There's nothing wrong if you stay in your place. Sometimes you feel it's not the time yet for you to make a full commitment to the Lord. And while I'll be praying for you, it is all right because it's up to you. It's between you and the Lord. But if you think that it's time for the Lord to really, really manifest His power in your life. If you think it is time for you to break, to break away from things that are pulling you back. If you really think it is time for the Lord to make a change, a definite change in your life. A change that will bring results that will be everlasting. I'd like to invite you to come to the front. And I'll be praying for you. So that this promise that we find in the Bible, that the Lord will give you a new heart. But you'll go back to the dark room all the time because you need to have this work performed in you. If you feel this is the case with you this morning, I invite you to come to the front. And I'll be praying for you. You know, the Lord has so much in store for you. The Lord wants to save you. The Lord wants to give you a life that's joyful here while we wait for the coming of Jesus. The Lord wants you to have the sense of closeness, of intimacy with Him, that you'll never feel awkward when you come into His presence. And when you come here to fellowship with your brothers and sisters, you sing out of a joyful heart. You read scripture with pleasure. You participate with pleasure because this is the place where you can meet with the Lord. In community. But it's not going to be awkward to you. It's not going to be strange to you. Because you love Him and you want to be close to Him. So let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father. There is a secret place. To where you call each and every one of us. There is a place Lord where we can find refuge.
we can find peace but also Lord we can find deliverance we can find transformation and to this place where you have invited us whether we may think that we have big problems in our lives to this place these people who stood up here this morning are willing to go to and you've seen the Lord their decision you saw that they came to the front the angels are witnessing this and so father as your servant I humbly ask that you may honor their desire their willingness to serve you and to be totally totally transformed Lord I include myself in this group I'm also here standing I ask you Lord that you may operate this change in my life on a daily basis I ask you Lord that you may help me be a light to my family that I may help lead them to Christ and I ask you Lord that you may effect changes in my heart that will be effective that will be everlasting and help us Lord look forward to the day where we'll see Jesus face to face because we'll be so used to being in your presence that nothing else will matter and because we're looking forward to having this experience right now I ask you all these things in the name of Jesus Christ our Savior Amen Amen May God bless you.